guys. I'm Ray Bella, and this is Words for Grant, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. It's been a little while. If you love the podcast, you can show your support via Patreon. Just head over to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted or follow the link at my website, wordsforgranted.com. Every little bit adds up, really. For just a buck a month, which is less than what you'd pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes. Not only that, but you also get to walk away knowing that you're helping to sustain the output of this independent show. The latest Patreon episode explores some alternative theories on the etymology of church. Thanks to Edward and Ben for their recent contributions. Quick correction on my Hebrew pronunciation from last time, yet again from listener Charles Siegel. I said that the Hebrew word for Jews was Yehudim, but it's actually Yehudi, English with an M at the end sometimes, and that's where the mispronunciation came into play. Without further ado, let's get on to today's episode, part six in an extended series on biblical etymology. If you were to ask 10 people on the street to define hell, my guess is that you'd get the same basic answer 10 times. Personal beliefs aside, all of these answers would probably converge around the idea that hell, with a capital H, is the place where Christians believe bad folks go when they die. Even if you yourself aren't a believer in hell, the concept of hell is still well known in pop culture. It's not only the place of eternal punishment for those who lead wicked lives, but it's also the abode of the devil and other demonic spirits. It's a sweltering inferno that rains fire and brimstone 24-7, 365 days a year. In fact, infernus, the source of the modern English word inferno, is Latin for hell. It's a bit ironic, then, that these ideas about hell are well, not eternal. The concept of hell as we know it today is a product of theological evolution that took place over the course of many centuries. What this means is that when we read the word hell in the Bible, we're reading a word in translation that has cultural implications to us that were unintended by its original authors. Over the course of this episode, we're going to explore this disparity of implications from a linguistic point of view by exploring the original Greek and Hebrew words that are often translated into English as hell in the Bible. But before we do that, I want to take a look at the word hell itself. Etymologically, hell is neither Hebrew nor Greek. It's a native English word, and its etymological family tree is fascinating. The origins of the actual word hell, not the religious concept that it represents, can be traced back to the Proto-Indo-European language. Proto-Indo-European is the ancient ancestral mother tongue that produced most of the major language branches from Western Europe all the way to Northern India. The reconstructed Proto-Indo-European root word for hell is kel, and its reconstructed meaning is not to burn or to punish or to suffer, but to conceal, to cover, or to hide away. Etymologically, hell is nothing more than a hidden place or a concealed place. 
In fact, the old English verb meaning to conceal was helon, which comes from this same root word. Old English attests the phrases helling potatoes and helling a house. Helling potatoes meant to keep potatoes in a cellar or to bury them in the ground. In other words, to conceal them. Helling a house referred to thatching a roof. In other words, concealing the top of a house. Although the verb helon has fallen out of usage in modern English, our language has dozens of words that are cognate with hell, all of which ultimately derive from that same Proto-Indo-European root word, kale. A brief list of these words includes, get ready for it, helmet, hole, hall, hull, hide, hollow, holster, cell, cellar, both of those with a C, by the way, color, conceal, kleptomania, occult, and maybe my favorite of all, the name William. The range of meanings and pronunciations among these words is kind of astounding. In the first draft of this episode, I spent about five minutes digressing and explaining all the connections among these words, and then I realized, oh wait a minute, none of this has anything to do with the topic itself, which is hell. So I edited out that part of the podcast, and I'm going to make it available as a bonus episode on Patreon. As you know, for just a buck, you can learn the bizarre story of how Color and William are linguistically related to hell. Again, your ticket is patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. All I'll say about that here is that the original meanings of all of the words just mentioned originally had something to do with concealing. In some of those words, such as holster, helmet, and hide, we can glimpse that original meaning of kale. A holster conceals a gun, and a helmet conceals a head. And of course, conceal and hide are synonyms. Anyway, let's get back on track. Today, the mainstream notion of hell derives from Christianity, but the word hell itself is actually attested in Old English two centuries before the Christianization of the British Isle. Originally, hell was a pagan term. Before the Anglo-Saxons were Christianized, they practiced a pagan religion closely related to Norse mythology, and the pagan Anglo-Saxons used this word hell in reference to the realm of the dead. However, this pagan version of hell had no implications of punishment for mortal wickedness. It was a morally neutral realm where everybody wound up when they died. It's not surprising, then, that in Norse mythology, both the realm of the dead and the goddess who presides over the realm of the dead are also named Hel. Norse mythology is not only genetically related to Anglo-Saxon mythology, but the Old Norse language is also genetically related to the Old English language. Both the English Hel and the Norse Hel derive from a common linguistic ancestor, the Proto-Germanic word Halio, which itself is, of course, a descendant of that original Proto-Indo-European root word, Kel. Halio is also the source of the word for hell in the modern German, Dutch, Icelandic, Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish languages. In each of these languages, the story of hell is the same. The word originally referred to the concept of a morally neutral afterlife in the Germanic pagan religion, a place that was concealed or hidden away from mortals, 
and the word was reinterpreted for Christianity after the speakers of these languages had been converted. If the defining characteristics of the Christian hell are things like fire and brimstone, demons, eternal damnation, etc., why do you think the Anglo-Saxons, or for that matter, any of these Germanic peoples, would have substituted their native, morally neutral word, hell, for this new Christian concept of eternal damnation? It's not necessarily an intuitive adaptation. Well, as I've already alluded to, the meaning of hell that was intended by the original authors of the Bible was much different than the meaning of the word today. For the rest of this episode, I want to examine what the biblical words that are translated into English as hell actually meant. Since the Old Testament came first, let's start there. Here's Psalm 16 verses 8 through 10 from the King James Version of the Bible. It's one of many passages in the Old Testament that, in English translations, makes reference to hell. Quote, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. End quote. As modern readers, the meaning of the line, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, seems pretty unambiguous. Hell is that eternal fiery pit for the wicked, and the speaker here is assured that God will not abandon his pious soul to burn there. However, the word from which hell is translated here is the Hebrew word Sheol, and Sheol is not hell, not even by a long shot. In early Judaism, Sheol was indeed the word for the realm of the dead, but like hell in Norse mythology and Hades in Greek mythology, which we'll be discussing later on, Sheol was a morally neutral realm. It was the destination for everyone after they died, good and bad alike. Not only people, but animals too. It is characterized by stillness and darkness and a loss of identity for all those who inhabit it. This notion of the afterlife couldn't be any more different from that of Christianity, where the righteous are eternally rewarded in heaven and the wicked are eternally punished in hell. Over the centuries leading up to the birth of Christ, notions of the afterlife in Judaism had evolved, and many of these evolutions are reflected in the heaven-hell dichotomy that later became codified by Christianity. Sticking with the King James Version, let's take a look at Isaiah 25.8. Quote, God will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from off all the faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. End quote. In this passage, the word death isn't translated from the Hebrew word for death, but from Sheol. Many other English versions of the Bible translate this usage of Sheol similarly. What this implies is that Sheol, the word for the underworld, could also be understood as simply death itself. Of course, we could never glimpse this subtlety or double meaning in an English translation. Maybe a more semantically accurate translation of this passage might be something like, God will swallow up the dull and dreary notion of the underworld believed in by Jews up until this point in history. 
But that doesn't sound as poetic, does it? Depending on the context, Sheol is sometimes translated into English as grave as well, as in Genesis 37:35. Quote, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. End quote. Again, what we lose in translation here is that the original word for grave is identical to the word that in other passages is translated as hell. In modern English, you couldn't possibly substitute hell as a synonym for grave, but apparently the ancient Hebrews did. Oh, wait a minute. They didn't believe in the same hell that we do, so no, they didn't. Yet the King James Version and many other versions of the Bible use the word hell with all of its modern baggage to translate that ancient Hebrew word sheol. I hope you can see how this is linguistically, culturally, and historically problematic. Another word translated into English as hell is Gehenna. Gehenna is a native Hebrew word that appears in both the Old and New Testaments, but since the New Testament was written in Greek, it appears there as a loan word. The way I'm pronouncing this word is actually an anglicization that draws on the Greek pronunciation. The original Hebrew phrase was pronounced something like Gay ben hinam. Disclaimer, take my Hebrew pronunciation with a grain of salt. This word, Gehenna, is fascinating. The original Hebrew, Ge ben Hinnom, literally meant Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. If you think that sounds like an actual place, like not a supernatural place concealed somewhere beneath the earth, but a location in the real world, then you're absolutely right. In fact, you can visit the Valley of Hinnom today. It's right outside the old city of Jerusalem to the south and southwest. Gay ben Hinnom is translated as exactly what it is, the Valley of Hinnom. But when Gehenna, the Greek version of this word, appears in the New Testament, it's usually translated into English as hell. So, what the hell is going on here? The Old Testament describes the Valley of Hinnom as a place where sacrilegious Judean kings sacrificed children by fire. That gave the Valley of Hinnom a real bad reputation, and for centuries afterwards, it was believed to be a cursed or unholy place. Furthermore, it was a place where garbage was often dumped and burned, and the corpses of criminals and animals were sometimes deposited. The imagery of everlasting fire became so closely linked to the Valley of Hinnom that the book of Isaiah simply calls it the burning place, assuming that contemporary readers would know what the allusion was referring to. If you're sharp, you might be able to predict where this is going. In the New Testament, Jesus makes several references to the Valley of Hinnom, which I'll now call Gehenna, since that's what it was called in the Greek of the New Testament. Gehenna was a dreaded place that would have been familiar to Jews in Jesus' day, and because of its bad reputation, it could serve as a potent metaphor. Consider the New International Version translation of Matthew 5.30. Quote, And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. As you just heard, there's no mention of Gehenna, because the word Gehenna is translated as hell. To be sure, Jesus is not talking about the abode of Satan here, but rather a literal pit of fire that was infamous and believed to be cursed among his contemporaries. 
In this light, Matthew 5.30 is a spiritual metaphor that references an earthly place, not an eternal place of damnation. Again, there's no way that you could ever, ever know this simply by reading the English version of the Bible because the word hell is completely misleading. Some scholarly Bibles resist translating Gehenna as hell and instead leave the word untranslated, but the vast majority of popular English Bibles translate Gehenna as hell, a trend that was pioneered by the King James Version. In a passage like Luke 12, verses 4 through 5, it really does seem like Jesus is talking about the hell known to us today. It reads, quote, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has just been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. End quote. But before we jump to conclusions, keep in mind that the modern Christian conception of hell just didn't exist yet. Here, hell is translated from Gehenna. Gehenna is, at best, a symbol of everlasting destruction. I don't think I need to explain this, but a symbol of everlasting destruction and belief in our modern notion of hell are two very different things. The last biblical word often translated into English as hell in various versions of the Bible is a Greek word that you probably already know, perhaps from a liberal arts 101 class or from a Disney movie made in the 90s. It's a word that I've mentioned in this podcast once already. That word is Hades. Hades is the name of the realm of the dead in Greek mythology. It's also the name of the god who presides over this realm. When Hellenized Jews translated the Old Testament into Greek, they used the word Hades to translate the Hebrew word Sheol. Hades also appears in the original Greek texts of the New Testament as the generic term for the realm of the dead. In a way, I find the translation of Hades as hell the most bizarre of all because, well, Hades is the name of the underworld in a non-Judeo-Christian religion, yet it's literally the original Christian word in Christian scripture for the afterlife. Like the Hebrew Sheol, Hades was a morally neutral place. This moral neutrality creates an approximate theological continuum between the conception of afterlives in the Old and New Testaments. Perhaps afterlife is a misleading word here because neither Sheol nor Hades provides a personal afterlife like heaven or hell do. Sheol and Hades are both underworlds in a generic sense and are both closely linked to the actual phenomenon of death itself. You might think of both of these terms as metaphors for the eventuality of death. I want to look at three different translations of Mark 16:18. Let's start with the ultimate biblical trendsetter, the King James Version. In it, Jesus says, quote, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. End quote. Here, the word hell is a translation of Hades. When we approach this passage with modern sensibilities, it seems like the language is framing a spiritual battle between hell and the church, that is, the realm of Satan and the paradise of God. But taking into consideration what we now know about the original notion of Hades, this connotation just isn't there in the original. 
Now let's look at this same passage from the New International Standard Version. Quote, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. End quote. Here, Hades is left untranslated, but I don't think that makes the matter any less confusing. To the average reader, Hades implies the underworld in Greek mythology, the place where stories of Persephone, Orpheus, and Odysseus take place. To the average reader, it might look like the translator screwed up or something, or is blaspheming against God by polluting the Bible with a reference to a pagan religion. Unless you deliberately research the evolution of Christian theology, there's no way of knowing that the Greek notion of Hades was borrowed by early Christians and reconfigured into their own religion. Lastly, let's look at the same passage from the contemporary English version. Quote, So I will call you Peter, which means a rock. On this rock I will build my church, and death itself will not have any power over it. End quote. Here, Hades is simply translated as death, thus removing notions of the afterlife from the passage altogether. This translation of Hades as death echoes the translation of shale as grave that I mentioned earlier. I should note that there is one instance, but only one instance, in which the Greek word Hades is used in a context that implies an afterlife marked by personal reward or punishment. In Luke's parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man is sent to Hades where he faces the, quote, anguish of flames, end quote, while Lazarus is carried by angels to the, quote, bosom of Abraham, end quote. You can make of this what you will. Our investigation here barely scratches the surface, but I hope my main point is clear. When we read hell in the Bible, it doesn't mean, or at least it didn't originally mean, what it seems. The sense of hell that we know today is the product of the evolution of Christian theology over time. The three-tiered conception of the afterlife, heaven, purgatory, and hell, is not grounded in canonical scripture at all. Some scholars have argued that the notion of a punitive afterlife like hell is actually a pagan Greek invention that was incorporated into Christianity as a way of creating obedience among its followers. Whatever the case, if you're wondering how something eternal can be a product of historical evolution, that is a problem for theologians to work out, not me. Thanks for listening, guys. One thing before I leave you. Since I've started this podcast, I've tried to maintain an every-other-week schedule for new releases of the show. This is probably the longest I've waited to put one out, and in the coming months, I may be shifting to an every-third-week schedule. I have a much busier work life these days than I did a year ago, so putting out a new episode every other week might be difficult. Once again, if you love the show, I'd like to remind you that you can sign up to support my work on Patreon. If that's not in your budget, no problem. You can still show your support by leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes, or your podcast directory of choice. I'm on Twitter at, at @wordsforgranted and Facebook as Words for Granted. You can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted@gmail.com. At Have a great day, everybody. I'll catch you next time here at Words for Granted.